613. I had 613 rules to follow. Can you imagine that? Can, can, can you even understand how many that is? And, and, and I, I knew every one of them, and I followed them, mostly. So there I am, sitting across from Jesus. And he looks at me and says, Nicodemus, it's not about the rules. <laughs> I'm, I'm paraphrasing him, but essentially that's what he's saying. It's, it's not about the rules. Not about the rules. Look at this from, from my perspective. I'd seen him come in the day before, and, and, and he had turned the temple upside down. This is the place, mind you, that, that I'd spent my life preserving. So you can imagine how much I wanted to have a talk with him in a secluded place at nighttime. How would you feel if someone Someone said to you, someone you respected, they tell you that everything that you'd dedicated your life to had missed the mark completely. You're a fool. That's how you feel. So I said something to him. One rule that seems too good to be true, because it was. Believe he's the Messiah. Believe he's the one that was promised. And, and he said it, like he just glazed over it like it was some simple thing. And then went on talking about good and evil and I'm thinking wait go back go back to where you took what was so complicated and made it not complicated my whole life was in those complications my my religion was in those complications making sure to follow the details of the laws. I made sure that every T was crossed. I thought that is what was going to save me. 613 laws. I was wrong. It was love that saved me. For God so loved. In John chapter 4, Jesus encounters a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And as you saw in the video, 
Nicodemus was somebody that loved the law. He loved to know and understand and live by the law, but also he loved to hold other people accountable to that law. And what John does when he authors this chapter is he takes what it looks like for somebody who loves the law versus somebody who understands the love of Christ and what God had come to accomplish through him. So John writes his gospel, as scholars believe, to a group of Jewish Christians who had recently been um, run out of the local temple. At the place and setting where they believe he wrote this to, to a group of believers in Ephesus, the temple was pretty progressive. They allowed a lot of things to be believed and a lot of things to be lived and a lot of things to be uh, cared about and placed as priority in people's lives. But as the message of Jesus Christ grew and it became more influential in the people that followed it, it was something that could no longer be acceptable to the people of the temple and to the leaders of the temple. And so in order to maintain some type of control and some type of congruity, they felt it was necessary to send these believers away so that the things that they would teach would not interfere with other people's ideas of what it means to follow God and it would not interfere with their own ability to hold these laws and these rules of God over other people. So when Nicodemus is approached, or when he approaches Jesus, he learns very quickly that the whole time, even though he had been doing things, as you would say, by the book, he had missed the mark. And we'd been talking about that the last few weeks, is that he had become a person who was very passionate in the what he was doing, but he had missed the why and the who it was for. And so as Jesus begins to explain to him what it means to truly understand the things of God and what it means to truly be a believer and a person who understands what God has come to do, that all of that lies within the person of himself, of Jesus Christ, as the one who God had sent in order that the world might discover and the world might know. That Jesus would serve as the example of his love and the things that he would accomplish in his birth and in his life and his death, and as we will later see in his resurrection, people will finally come to understand the character and the heart of the God that these Pharisees and that this temple life have done a very poor job of portraying or displaying for others. But then John flip-flops, and as we read about last week, he goes back to talk about John the Baptist. And what John is doing when he is writing this chapter and he's writing this gospel account is he is wanting people to have two examples that they can see. In Nicodemus, they see the religious person that follows the rules, that plays the part, that looks the part, that acts the part, and that definitely knows all the things that need to be done. But in John the Baptist, we see the exact opposite. Somebody who's definitely not worried about how people see him. He's definitely not worried about the details and the intricacies. And we see that in verse 23. Uh, if you've got your Bible, let's go ahead and read verses 22 through 36 again. And Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem and went into the Judean countryside. And Jesus spent some time with them there baptizing people. 
And at this time, John the Baptist was baptizing in Adon near Salem because there was plenty of water there. And people kept coming to him for baptism. This was before John was thrown into prison. And a debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one that you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people. And everybody is going out to him instead of coming to us. And John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it to him from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you that I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and it is the bridegroom's friend who is simply glad to stand there with him and hear his vows. So therefore, I am filled with joy at his success, and he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are of the earth and we speak of earthly things, but he has come from heaven and he is greater than anyone else. He testifies about what he has seen and heard, but how few believe what he tells them. Anyone who accepts his testimony can affirm that God is true, for he is sent by God. He speaks God's words, for God gives him the spirit without limit. The father loves his son and he has put everything into his hands. And anyone who believes in God's son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but will remain under God's angry judgment. So there's a lot going on, as you can imagine, when John the Baptist is talking to his disciples. And in verse 25, we get the origin of this discussion and the statements that John makes to follow to help them understand what his purpose is. In verse 25, he says that a debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. So what we are seeing happening here in this instance in John's gospel is something that has railroaded and has blinded believers since the time that Jesus walked the earth. They get hung up in the specifics and in the traditions, and in doing so, they begin to focus more on the things that were given a purpose than they do on the person that they were given for. And so as John's disciples come to him and approach him, John very quickly does the opposite of what Nicodemus did. Instead of worrying about the structure of things and instead of worrying about the outward appearance and how it looks as though he's being shown up by this other person who is baptizing, what he does is he tells his disciples that you must rejoice in what Jesus is doing because that is the whole reason we exist. And what we often realize as believers when we come down to think of it, and if we look at different churches and different denominations and the way that different Christians live and testify and speak of their faith, what we do is we realize that as Christians, as people, as humans who are seeking to know Christ in a better way, our fallen nature still gets in the way sometimes. And we become more zealous for the things that we are taught than for the Christ in which it is meant to lead us to. And we do so because it's easy for us to measure those things. It's easy for us, as Nicodemus said, to keep up with 613 laws that it's very apparent to us whether or not we are following them. Whether or not somebody else is following them. It is easy for us to look at other people and measure their worth or perhaps their faith by the things that we can see happening in them. And this is what was happening here with the disciples. 
They were arguing over the intricacies of baptism, over what was the correct way, over when was the time to do it, over how it was done and who must do it. And so John takes this opportunity not to point to himself and say, well, I've been baptizing longer than he has and I must have the original way and he's just following what I have set in motion. But instead what he does is he says, hey, do you not understand what is happening through this person of Jesus Christ? He doesn't take the opportunity to lift himself up and to make other people see himself and to point himself as the person in which all people must follow. He doesn't even point his disciples, the ones who have been following him and learning of him, to look at himself. But instead, he tells them to focus on Christ. That Christ must be the one that they speak of. So for you and I, as we read again where John the author uses John the Baptist as the example, what we see is that somebody who has responded to Jesus Christ speaks to win people to the love of Jesus Christ. That is the one goal that we have in this relationship with Him, is that everything that we do is so that other people may understand what Jesus has done. But we have a tendency and we have a problem, especially in the American church, of measuring everybody else against our own righteousness. And this is something that each one of us at some point in time has done, whether we've known it or not. But we look at somebody else and we measure who they are based off the things that we know. The traditions that we had been taught growing up. The things that we have learned in our Sunday school classes and in our Bible studies. But we forget the main message that it was Jesus Christ who came to save for God so loved the world that he gave him. And that if we would believe in him, we would have eternal life. And I want to look at verse 30 again. John says that he was filled with great joy at his success. And he realized that he must become greater and greater. And that he himself must become less and less. As we talked about last week, that is the exact opposite of what the world says. <coughs> In every way, the world says that success comes through our own refining. That success comes through our own work. That success comes through our own ability to build ourselves up. To gain recognition for ourselves. But John realized that success comes in the fact that it is Jesus Christ who in fact brings the victory. And so, as we think about John's writing of the gospel, before we continue to read through anything else that he writes and that he gives an example of Jesus Christ in his gospel, we must understand one thing if we are to be the church of Jesus Christ in this world. That if we try to approach God, if we try to approach other people in any other way apart from Jesus Christ, then what we are doing is futile. It's worthless. It's going to have no lasting effects. If we try to come to God without the person of Jesus Christ, what we are doing is we are coming to God with all the baggage of our sin. 
with all the shame of the things that we know are still in our lives, the thoughts that still go through our head that we know don't align with the Word of God. Charles Spurgeon said one time that people, that Christians often feel as though they have no hope because they look at the things that God has said a Christian is supposed to be and they look at their own lives and they, they realize very quickly that that is not who they are and that the things that Jesus Christ said that believers are to exhibit, they realize are not being exhibited in their life. And they so often want to love God better and they want to know God more and that becomes the cry of their heart. But he says the number one way that somebody can experience the love of God more in their heart is if they realize just how bad they are. That if they realize just how much they have fallen and how unable they are to attain God's mercy and God's love on their own. And he says the moment that you do that and the moment that you remember that what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross was something you could not do for yourself, he said that is the moment that you will experience the fullness of Christ's love. So as we read John's gospel, what we see and what John is trying to do when he authors this word and this account of Jesus Christ is that Jesus Christ has to be the center of everything that we do in this life if we are to be successful. He says there is evidence that the things of God are all around us. That Jesus Christ has come from greater and he is better than anything else. And he speaks of things that are beyond our own and he brings them to be all around us. And he said, but we cannot continue to think from earthly ways. We cannot continue to try and reason God through earthly understanding. Where we try to explain God logically. Where we try to look at everything and reason it away to where it fits in our understanding of God. But he says that we must understand through the person of Jesus Christ. There is only one way to experience hope and peace and love. The believers that John was writing this passage to was helping them to understand that they are living in the midst of a fallen world. They are living in the midst of a world where sin has told each individual that their way is the right way. That their truth is the right truth. And that everything that they deal with in life can go the way that they want it to. And so he captures the story of John the Baptist here who takes the exact opposite of what the world would say. And he would say that Jesus Christ must become greater, and I must become less. So for us, the challenge is this. If we are to say that we believe in Jesus Christ, and if we are to claim that He is our Lord and our Savior, then there's only one way that we can live. There's only one way that we can understand our purpose. There's only one way that we can understand what worship is about. That when we come to this place, it's not about us. It's not about our comfort. It's not about our musical choice. It's not about our preaching style. But it is about the one for which all of those things are meant for. Each day when we live our life, it is to be about the one 
who gave us life in the first place. Each word that we speak must be about the one who gave us the opportunity. So as John writes his gospel, he very quickly helps us to understand that in the person of Jesus Christ, the fullness of God's character came not so that we might know more rules, not so that we might see just the example of what those rules should look like when lived out, but so that we can understand that all of these things were meant that when God receives glory, that is when we experience Him in the fullness of what He wants us to understand. So my challenge for you is this. As you seek to be a believer, as you seek to be a Christian, I want to ask you, who is the focus of your life? Who is the audience that you are trying to please? Nicodemus had the audience of the people around him. He would say it was God, but Jesus would reveal that no, it had become more about the people around him. That his affirmation was found in the people around him. But yet in John the Baptist, we see that his affirmation came through the glory of Christ alone. So when you live your life as a Christian, how do you live? Who is the audience of your efforts? Is it that other people around you would see and know that you are a Christian? Or is it that Christ might be seen in you? So I started a new prayer for myself when we began this chapter. And it was it's one common to what a lot of us pray like Lord give me a heart of Jesus that's a pretty common prayer but I added something to it and I said Lord may the things that I learn not become just head knowledge but may they give me a heart of Christ and so my new worry has become that I might be more as Nicodemus than I would be as somebody who understood all of these things that I, that I am coming to know and to learn. So that is my challenge for you. To make sure that you live your life and you walk your journey with Christ in such a way that it is not about that you might know more so that other people will affirm you, so that other people will say they know what they're talking about or that's a Christian there, but so that when other people see you, they will see Jesus Christ in you. And that when the accolades come and people say, oh, you're such a good Christian, you're such a wonderful person, you will see that as an opportunity to go, let me tell you about Jesus Christ, because that's the one you really need to be praising. Because that is our goal as believers. That is our purpose, to point people to the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ, to live our lives and to preach our message in such a way that we win people to Christ's love instead of our own side. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you that John was able to capture the intent and the purpose of Jesus Christ in such a way that he would be able to write to believers at a time in need when it would seem as though the world was against them and that they had lost but God, we see that 
Victory comes when Jesus Christ is glorified. Even in our life, if it seems that everything else around us is crashing down and nothing else makes sense, we understand that victory comes when Jesus Christ is the center of our affections. So God, I pray that you would help us to understand that in Jesus Christ, new life is possible. That the discovery of your heart is possible. God, help us not to seek to approach you in any other way apart from Jesus Christ. Help us to understand that your word alone contains the truth of all things. And help us to live as your light that other people might see Jesus Christ within us. We pray all of this in your precious and your holy name. Amen.